heard it said, haven't we, that life is a journey. Uh, life is a journey. We have many experiences on that journey. Many people that we encounter on the way. Some of them still journeying with us now. And some of them are friends that were friends a long time ago, but for one reason or another, uh, no longer with us. But also the journey is about the choices that we have. Those moments where we have a fork in the road. And uh, we can either go one way or another way. Uh, or we have five or six different options. And we recognise that, that that might have an implication on the rest of our lives. There's choices that we make. And we believe as those who are Christians that God is with us on that journey. Now, Paul, can you just put up the first of our, our, our two maps that I've just literally taken off the internet, so I haven't really got a clue where they are. Um, that's probably up north somewhere after us. Um, <laughs> I recognise that, and that's drive all the way down through, but I reckon, you know, for us, once we go past Bristol, we're in the north of the country there. <laughs> Sometimes people think journeying with God is like this map. <coughs> That we have a start point, and that God has given us an end point. And it's a linear journey where every choice we make, we have no option. We go from A to B, and that's the end of it. Now, I might be a heretic by what I'm going to say next, but I don't believe that's how God operates in the bigger sense. Paul, can I have the next? I believe God operates more like this. That we have choices to make and God guides us and God shows us direction. But can we honestly put our hand on our heart and say every time we have a choice to make that we have chosen exactly what God wants? You know, sometimes we make the wrong turn or a different turn. And that doesn't mean that God, we have gone off the path that God has wanted. Because I believe our life is a bit like the London Underground that there are many places we could go, many journeys we could take. To get from one end of London to the other, we could go on the inner circle or the outer circle or the Jubilee line. I haven't got to the camp, just reciting names of mine, I can remember. We have uh, 
John uh, proclaiming the way. We have Jesus in the wilderness. We have Jesus starting his ministry. And the first thing he does is to call the disciples. There's no warning. And we might think, well, you know, this is a, this is a nice, nice experience for the disciples. But what we don't understand is this is huge. Tony read the passage earlier, and it's not a long passage, is it? It's very short. But actually, the implications for the disciples in this very short passage is mammoth. They are leaving their livelihood. This is how they make money. This is how they feed their family. They were probably young men at the time. Probably not a family to speak of in that sense. But they're a wider family. This is how they call the money. They are leaving the family business. Every time I hear this passage, there's one character that sticks out to me. It's Zebedee. Because I have images of Zebedee with his men tied. The, the, repairing the nets, and all of a sudden going, boys, where are you going? What are you doing? You've got work to do here. We don't hear of Zebedee in his direction. But I imagine if boys are leaving the family business, what's going on? What's happening? They were meant to be the ones that when Zebedee got too old to do it anymore, that would learn the trade would take over the family business. And it's a controversial move the disciples make. In the Jewish way of things, a rabbi was someone who was the cream of the top. You went to school, and if you were good enough, you went on to the next stage. And if you were good enough then, you went on to train as a rabbi. And it was then you could call yourself a rabbi, and you could have your own disciples that followed you, and journey with you. The disciples are following an unknown carpenter's son. This is not an, an intellectual heavyweight. Someone that the rabbinic community have said, here is a teacher. It's controversial because they are doing something that is so countercultural in just that going and following Jesus. But we see that the journey that Jesus is on is not one that is just to be journeyed by himself. Like I said, he had the temptation if we read back a little bit. But very early on, he gets companions for the journey that he's about to take. And I think this is an important thing we shouldn't overlook this. The Christian journey is not one to be walked alone. Jesus shows us very early on. Jesus doesn't start uh, doing the Father's work on his own. He has those around him that are going to journey with him. They're going to experience the pain, the joy, the anguish, the frustration. He calls these disciples to learn from him. To see what he is doing and to bit by bit, gradually, open their eyes to understand, to see the kingdom of God in action. And I think this is important because I hear many times people say, yes, I'm a Christian, but I don't need to be I don't need to be 
with other Christians. I can journey this alone. And I'm very pastoral in that moment, and will listen. But I want to say rubbish. I want to say no. You've missed the point. You've missed the point of journeying as a group together. You've missed the point of experiencing life in a worshipping community. In crying together, in being joy together, in working alongside one another to what God is doing. That's why I believe small groups are so vital to the, to the, to the growth of any church. Because that's when we can sit down together and say, but what's that next? How does this relate? A discussion. And Jesus very early on gets people to journey with him. And for me, that's a great sign of the church. Next year in 2018, I've just started doing the preaching plan for 2018. We're going to look at Acts, the very beginning of the church, and see together that people met together. It was not something they could do alone. Our journey is not one that to be done alone. But if we are journeying together, we need a purpose, a reason. We might want to, in Christian speak, name that a calling. A calling for why we journey together. A calling, a reason, a purpose why each Sunday we turn up to worship together. Now I believe that God is doing something within the life of this church where he, he is just pushing, pushing us out into the community. For those who have been regular, we know the opportunities that are before us. A shop in Forstreet, a prayer station in, the, in our town, uh, the Christmas meal. God is pushing us out, our calling, to serve the community in a powerful way. And that, I believe, for the future, the next moment of this church, the next chapter, of this church's life is going to be a significant factor of our calling, of our reason together. But Jesus calls each one of us to journey together with him on this journey. And how does Jesus do it? Well, it's very simple, isn't it? If we read the passage today, Jesus doesn't go up to James and John and, uh, and the others. Andrew and say, hello, um, can you fill in a quick questionnaire about, uh, about what you're doing? <coughs> yes, you look very good. Come, come for an interview um, and then we'll see what goes from there. Jesus just says, follow me. Follow me. Follow me and I will make you fishers of people. That's all Jesus said. You know, if it, accurate, if it counts accurate, then there is power in Jesus' voice. Real power. Because in those few words, the disciples gave up everything they knew. They gave up their family. They gave up their livelihood. And actually they gave up their life. If you look at what happened to them in the end. Our calling as disciples on the journey, 
as those journeying together as followers of Christ is to simply follow God. I think it's important just to pause there. To follow God. I want to ask a question. Who, who do you follow? Do you follow wealth? Do you follow happiness? Do you follow the moral highway? follow the gods of this world, the footballers, the pop stars, the people who seem to have it all so done. You know, we need to trust completely the one we follow, the one we follow should be Jesus Christ. Too often the church has followed, not this church, the church, has followed wanting to get more buns and seats in the morning. Wants to follow wealth. But actually, Jesus simply says, Follow me. Follow me. We need to trust the one we follow completely. Do we trust God completely? Do we trust Jesus completely? Because when we see that tuber map, there might be a turning on there that does not seem natural. That doesn't seem like the most obvious place to go. Actually, you might see one that causes more pain and suffering. But do we trust in God who we follow? I've shared the story before. Of, many of you will know that uh, of, of the gifts that God has given me, navigation is not one of them. Um, I still, this day, go completely almost around the houses to get to someone's house to visit them. Um, but I remember a holiday that Michelle and I and the boys were on, and we were with friends. And uh, on the way back from, from going out for the day, we parked the Tesco. And uh, we had to go buy a bit of shopping just to top up, as you do as you're with, with friends. Um, I'm sure there was no alcohol involved at all. Um, not while I was driving, certainly. Um, but we had, and then came the moment where uh, they got back to the car and we followed. And I started driving around this very narrow roads and lanes. And um, Michelle, as a good wife, usually does, says, where are you going? <coughs> but, well, I'm following Sarah in Austin. She said, Tim, that's not Sarah in Austin's car. <laughs> <laughs> I took them quite a considerable way around. I'm sure these people thought that was a strange car following them. It was the same kind of car. But how often in life do we start following something thinking it's God and then realising actually no. I'm following my own ambitions, my own plans. I need someone to say, stop. Follow Jesus. Because it's Jesus that says, follow me. Now I'm going to be a bit honest with you now. I just open up the call to ministry. It might seem a bit of a cushy job to some of you. Well, you work an hour on a Sunday, you get a house provided, um, you know, what on earth is there not to like about ministry? Come and see me if you've got three or four hours afterwards. Oh, no, no. But you know what, there are some difficult moments in any course of ministry. I have friends who, in human 
sentences are far more successful than I am. They own their own house. They're earning 56,000 pounds a year. Don't want ministry. You know, they, 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 most of them have got it sewn up. They're sorted. And I often wonder if I didn't go into ministry with my understanding of music and my passion for music, the musical theatre, what could I be? What did I give up in order to follow God's call? Family. been a difficult with my mum and the way she's suffering to be distant from that. If I hadn't pursued my calling to God, I could still be in Taunton and it would be easier to see family and to have a family. When you get called into ministry, it's the most unknown thing you're ever going to think People say, yes, we believe you have a call to ministry. And then you go and train for three years in a college. And you're constantly asking, what next? What next? What, what if God had different plans? What if I'm not called to ministry? What if the church doesn't want me? What if the church wants me and then five years down the line they don't want me anymore? Nearly five years here, so I'm <laughs> <laughs> What if? What if I just can't find someone? What? What happens when I retire? Because the church has provided me a house for many years. And then when I retire, I'm not on an income to be able to, to provide. I'm just sharing something with me because you will have similar things when God's called you. And what I'm trying to say is that the calling of God in your life is not just a simple, yay, let's go, let's have a nice time. It's difficult. It's painful. Don't think. And if God comes and says to you, I want you to do this, then you're just going to walk through it. Because in that time, there will be the sharpening and pain of the furnace that sharpens you into something more, more Christ-like than you can imagine before. But it doesn't mean it's an easy journey. And for us as a church as well, when we are doing what we believe God is calling, sometimes it will not be easy. We heard a testimony last week of Vicky. We want to see more of those testimonies. And we recognise, and I hope Vicky would find the same if she was here, but we've had to journey, and it's been difficult at times to journey with Vicky. But in that moment last week, we saw something of the jewel that God was forming and shaping. And so we come back to the question, who are we following? Because for me, there are two options. It's as simple as that. And just go with me on this. I'm not ahead. We either believe that Jesus is the Son of God, or we believe that he was the world's greatest fraudster. There's no in-between. There's no in-between. We either believe that Jesus is the Son of God, or he's a liar. Let's not get into this whole idea that they're, well, he was a nice man, a teacher, and, you know, that's, that's okay. I'm going to be honest, I'm afraid it's not. And I believe Jesus was the Son of God. And I believe that he died and he 
Rose came. I believe that as the disciples journeyed with him, they saw him as the Son of God. Because if those disciples had had any sense about them, any human would have looked at that situation and said, this isn't going to end well. You know, when Jesus died on that cross, they could have renounced him and said no. But what did they do? They went and preached the good news of Jesus Christ. And where did that lead them? <coughs> they gave their lives because they saw in Jesus Christ the Son of God. Now we may need to, on our journey, ask that question of ourselves again. Which camp will we fall into? Jesus is the Son of God. Or a false We each have a choice. We each have a response to God saying to us, follow me. I won't do it because it's embarrassing. But I wonder if I was to walk around to each one of you and to say, Jesus says, follow me. What's your response? Is it, yes, Lord, wherever you go, I will go? Or is it, no, not today. I've got other things to follow. I've got a family that demands me to be a taxi service. I've got, I've got things I want to do first before I, I, I set into the boredom of Christianity. It's not boredom, friends. It's life-giving. It's an amazing thing. But there's no halfway. And I know I'm laying on the line and shout at me afterwards. But there's no halfway. It is either all or nothing. Our commitment to Christ is either all or nothing. In our journey of life, who do we journey with? Who is the one that we are following? Look at your own life this week. I'm not just talking about Sunday morning for now. Hopefully it's a church that got past that idea that Christianity is just a Sunday morning for now. I'm talking in your life Monday to Saturday. Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening. Just think, who is it I'm following? When we come to church meeting in a couple of weeks' time, it's the same question. Who is the church we're following? We've got some big decisions to make in our next church some of them, don't want me saying things, are going to be profoundly affecting for James' life. Now, I don't say that lightly, and I hope you don't mind me saying that. But we need to make sure we are listening to God's calling. Because we can't do anything else. There'll be other things in that meeting as well. The budget. Ugh. Me and Graham have already had a meeting this week about that. Probably everyone goes to the budget. God's given us responsibilities and finance. Who are we following? How far are we willing to push the boat? How far are we willing to risk things for the sake of the kingdom? Because we might be like that living that and say, point A is this is how much money we've got coming in because this means that's where point B is going to be. 
like left turn here. Maybe God showed us something different. May we in our lives individually 